Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax with their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs. You can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Hello and welcome to Free Exchange. I'm John Ashmore, the editor of CapEx, and this week I'm delighted to be joined by the comedian Constantine Kissin. Uh, as well as being comedian, Constantine is a bit of a free speech advocate, and uh, today we're going to be talking about the various issues around wokeness on the comedy circuit, mm-hmm. uh, all that sort of thing. Um, but first, I mean, Constantine, do you want to just tell us a bit about your own background? Because you were born in the Soviet Union and then came to the UK in, in the 90s, I believe. Is that right? That's exactly right. So I was born in, in, the, in the early 80s in Russia. I lived all over the former Soviet Union in Uzbekistan and Ukraine and sort of lived in many different parts of it. And I caught the tail end of what was then the Soviet Union. But of course, when you live in that kind of society, the memories of your parents and your grandparents get passed down to you because uh, you know the unofficial history of the Soviet Union doesn't really get recorded in that kind of environment. Mm-hmm. So the stories of your parents being sent to the gulag or your grandparents or whatever, they live with you as if they're kind of part of your experience. So I grew up in this very oppressive, restrictive society, which only 20 or 30 years prior had been sending people to, to the gulags, to mental institutions, to, to be shot for having the wrong opinion. So when you introduced me as a free speech advocate... I don't really consider myself an advocate. I just thought that free speech was precisely the reason that my parents did everything they could to get me to the West because that was one of the great things about the West. So it's kind of like saying I'm, I feel it's kind of like introducing me as a oxygen breathing advocate. I just thought it's part of, of what you're supposed to have in Western society. And it boggles the mind for me that increasingly a lot of people don't view the freedom to express your opinions and beliefs as a fundamental part of what it means to be a member of Western civilization. And just coming back to the Soviet Union, I mean, do you remember much of growing up there? Yeah, I do. I mean, in terms of the, the kind of freedom to express yourself, I remember, you know, often you'll have, uh, in America particularly, black people talking about how they have a chat with their children about how they should conduct themselves if they are ever stopped by a police officer. Actually, my parents would have a chat with me before they sent me to school to say, you must not discuss the things that we talk about around the kitchen table at school because that would mean you and us and other members of our family getting in trouble. And this is like in the late 80s. 
This isn't in Stalinist 1930s Russia. This is quite late on in the day. So that culture of restriction and fear about speaking your mind was existent even at that time. And is it right that your granddad was exiled? Yes, well, that's how partly I ended up in this country. My grandfather said something he wasn't supposed to say uh, in, in the 70s, in the late 70s. And essentially, he was forced out of the Soviet Union. And that's how he came to Britain. And then when my parents in the early 90s were able to send me to boarding school, they were like, well, my granddad, his granddad is here. We might as well send him here where he can be looked after and close to him. I mean, something you said boggles your mind that you, you know, in the West now even think about free speech being an issue. Mm. Another thing that boggles my mind is the way that people look, have a sort of almost nostalgic view of Soviet communism. You still see people in like SSSR t-shirts and stuff like that. I mean, how does that make you feel when you see that kind of... Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because communism and uh, extreme socialism, they seem to have this amazing PR. You know, you see people walking around with Che Guevara t-shirts. If you look into the history of what Che Guevara said or did, I think a lot of people would reconsider. Uh, But most people don't. Most people just see it as a symbol of rebellion, I guess, against the evil capitalist West. Um, I mean, the... The situation now, of course, is is complicated. I can understand, to some extent, why young people would have not much truck with capitalism. And the reason for that, of course, is we now live in a society where, as a young person, your chances of ever having capital are slim to none. I mean, the one form of capital, historically, that ordinary people have had access to in this country and in much of the West is the ability to buy your own property. That is essentially the only form of capital that most people have ever had. And we now live in a world in which people of our generation and younger particularly have absolutely no chance, with some exceptions, have absolutely no chance of acquiring any capital or accumulating any capital unless they get it passed down from their parents or grandparents or or they're very fortunate to be in very high-paying jobs. And even then, even if you are in a high-paying job, you know, we're sitting here in the centre of London, (laughs) what ordinary person, even on a high income, could possibly afford to buy a property in, in, in this vicinity of where we sit today. Yeah, if you, there's an estate agent around the corner if you want to go and have a look. Mm. I think it's about five million a flat or something in this postcode. For like a two-bedroom flat? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Chump change. Yeah, exactly. So w- I, w- this is one of the points I try to make clear to people whenever I'm talking about this. There is a reason that the idea of socialism, if you watch the democratic primaries right now, the idea of leaning in that direction is popular now. And it's not just random. Everything in history is a response to something that happened just before. right? So we had the feudal system. That was considered extreme at a certain point. That became overthrown. And then you had this uh, period of rampant capitalism that followed. right? That was then followed by the communist revolutions because people were responding to the rampant capitalism they'd had before, you know, six-year-olds down chimneys and in mines and whatever, right? Um, And what we're seeing now, I think, is a response to certain excesses and problems of crony capitalism, where power and money and wealth and influence become concentrated in the hands of a very small number of people, and ordinary people feel locked out of that. And when that happens, you will get problems and therefore you will get people clamoring for these ideas that have never worked. But if people are desperate, they will go for things that... It's like the Donald Trump election campaign in 2016. He, the, the message that people talk about is make America great again. Actually, I think the main message of his campaign was what have you got to lose? 
he was saying to half of the country, essentially, you've been downtrodden, you've been ignored for decades. What have you got to lose? And I think the reason that the ideas of socialism, extreme socialism, and even communism are re-emerging is that a lot of people, particularly young people, to whom these revolutionary ideas always appeal, feel like they don't have anything to lose either. Yeah, it strikes me as well that it's not actually... When you try to sort of paint Corbyn as a bit of a commie or whatever, but I don't think it has that much resonance, especially people under 30 who mm. don't remember the Cold War. I mean, it, it's, it, it's not necessarily a very effective campaigning tactic for right. the Conservatives. Well, it's the whole Holocaust thing, isn't it? The, the, the far right essentially had their one thing that made them evil, right? Uh, the Soviet Union had, and Maoist China have had events that are far more evil than that, I would argue, to, to, to an extent. But they never got the same coverage because we needed the Soviet Union on board to win World War II. Yeah. And since then, we had to kind of keep them on side. And they only became the evil empire, the Soviet Union, later in the process, by which point they weren't really doing any of that. So it's, my, it's really a question of PR and perception, essentially. Uh, would, that is the reason that we associate the far right with evil and genocide, but we don't do the same for the far left, which is equally genocidal and, in my opinion, equally evil. Yeah, I mean, it's a theme some people have um, you know, picked up on uh, in the past. I mean, we're talking about totalitarianism. Your Edinburgh show, which you've just um, finished in August. Um, sorry, I should say a quick plug, uh, and is still ongoing. Mm. Many excellent tickets available. Um, <laughs> On the 24th of November in London, and I'm also doing shows in Brighton and Cambridge. Catholics doesn't have any readers in Brighton. <laughs> <laughs> About as many as I have people who are going to come to so, my show there. It's a, it's a room above a pub in Brighton. Uh, it's a room below a pub in Brighton where yeah. I'm going to have 30 people, and that is going to be the entire population of Brighton that is interested in my show. I'd be happy if we had 30 readers, to be fair. <laughs> um, so the, the title of the show is All Well That Ends Well, mm. um, but originally you had a different title, didn't you? Uh, well, I played around with a bunch of stuff. Uh, I think my original title was Black Russian, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, with, where I was going to talk about, you know, obsession with identity now. Um, but uh, I, don't, I don't actually know what you mean. What are you... I thought Jewish Nazi was also in the running. Yeah, so. Jewish Nazi was probably probably one of the options. I just thought it wouldn't necessarily it might repel people who didn't know who right. I was. It's a very funny thing if you know the story, but if you don't know the story, that seems like a yeah. So just for the benefit of our listeners who might not have heard, um, you kind of hit the headlines. You were on Good Morning Britain. You were on Fox News um, about this contract you were asked to sign. Um, I think it was a goldsmiths. Uh, it was SOAS. Uh, okay. It was SOAS um, in London, which is a school of Oriental and Asian studies. Mm -hmm. uh, and they sent me this contract, which had, which said that uh, in the interest, because what happened was, and I just, I always like to make this clear, I was performing at a comedy club in London. Their students were there. They liked what my performance, and they invited me to perform at the university, yeah. right? And then when they invited me, they sent me this contract which said that in the interest of creating a safe space for comedy, they had a zero-tolerance policy on racism, sexism, classism, ageism, ableism, homophobia, biphobia, transphobia, xenophobia, Islamophobia, anti-religion, anti-atheism, and it also said that all jokes must be respectful and kind. Right? Yeah. And when I turned that down and I tweeted about it to what was a very small number of followers at that time, 
it became a viral story overnight. It was first picked up in America, then it made its way into the mainstream media here, then it went back to being mainstream media news in America and Australia. And I had like emails from Thailand and Malaysia and all over the place asking for interviews. So it became a very big story. And as part of the media response to that, I was on a radio debate with another comedian. You could arguably say she's a comedian, who um, who said that because I turned down this contract, I'm a Nazi. Oh, yeah. Who was that? I mean, yeah. Kate Smirthwaite. Oh, God, yeah. 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 She's a bit notorious on the comedy scene. Yes. No. She's notorious on every scene that she gets involved in. Um, and so that's where the joke that you're referencing comes from. Oh, I see. Yeah. The idea of being a Jewish Nazi, which is kind of a broader thing. I talk about it this in the show, is this sense that Everybody who has the wrong opinion in any way is now automatically a Nazi. Or alt-right. Alt, well, which yeah. is essentially the same thing. Right. right? Uh, because she initially said that I'm alt-right. And, uh, and I said, well, we got there in the end. Because I predicted at the beginning of the interview that she would call me a Nazi. Um, and I said, we got there in the end. You did call me a Nazi. And she said, uh, having never seen any of my material, by the way, that having seen your material... I assumed you would self-identify that way. Right. Um, and he's, I mean, we, we are in this crazy place now where, like I say, anyone who disagrees with this kind of hyper-liberal orthodoxy is automatically a Nazi. And it's just a way to not have to deal with what they're saying. It's interesting because I don't think, from what I've seen of your stuff, I don't, wouldn't say you have a particularly right-wing view at all. Like no. It's just on this particular issue... But now, advocating for freedom of speech is seen as a right-wing hobby horse, which I find... Well, it used to be a left-wing hobby horse. It's sort of bizarre. Well, my point is it used to be a Western civilization thing that everybody could get behind, actually. I'd, I mean, of course, there have always been people on the extremes who've wanted to silence people they don't like. But broadly speaking, that was all existent in a space where we all, generally speaking, agree that the freedom to say what you think is sacrosanct and it's, it's a cornerstone of Western civilization. Uh, now, I think the, 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 the fight between different groups within society who are struggling for power and influence and oppression points in this kind of eternal battle has become so fierce that people are now using almost any method they can to advance their particular ideology. And so instead of you know, reason and debate and logic and argument, we've gone to this place of what is the most powerful move that I can play? It's essentially a bit like pulling a knife at a boxing match, right? So if people are coming into a boxing match with a, with a knife in their back pocket, that is essentially the methods that are now being used. And we've seen it almost in every field that you look at, and politics is particularly notorious for this. Look at David Lammy saying that the ERG, the people who really want to leave the EU with a no-deal Brexit, they're worse than Nazis. We have lost all sense of proportion. I mean, that comment on its own is a deeply insulting and offensive thing to say to anyone, but particularly to people who've lost family members in the Holocaust or just people who aren't Nazis, you know. And that is kind of where we are. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. 
you'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah, I mean, I, I wrote a piece not long ago. We're in the uh, market for plugs here. <laughs> about Britain's Reichstag fire moment. Because our, probably our most eminent historian of Nazi Germany described Boris Johnson's prorogation of Parliament as Britain's Reichstag fire <laughs> moment. It's, I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? It's like this sort of reductium ad absurdum. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, and what, I mean, just coming back to your show, I mean, what were the reaction, what kind of reactions did you get to people presumably who might not have known what to expect coming in. Yeah, I had uh, my audiences were extremely mixed, and one of the things that I always did during the show, and I do during the show, is I tell people what my political beliefs are uh, as part of the comedy routine, and then I ask people in the room to identify themselves. Are you left? Are you right? Are you center? And I always found that my audiences were very mixed. So I, I'd usually have a, a couple of right-wingers. I had a small room, 50-seater room in, in Edinburgh, which was perfect. I'd usually have you know three or four right-wingers. I'd have quite a lot of left-wing people in and quite a few centrist people in. Generally, on most nights, that was the breakdown. And it was interesting to me that almost every time the people on the left were extremely surprised to find themselves in the majority, which they inevitably were in. Um, so it, it's quite interesting to me coming back to the point you just made which is it is now a right wing issue to be pro free speech but that isn't where the country's at that's where the media world is at uh, the response from the general public to my show was overwhelmingly positive I had a few people who who walked out over the course of 30 days, which is pretty normal. And it's almost like you failed as a comedian if you haven't alienated a few mentalists who came to see your show in, in order to be offended by it, which which happens. Um, but again, those, those people weren't really walking out because I said something politically different to what they believe. They just didn't like the material or the, they whatever. So uh, this is kind of the point about where we are as a society where... If someone like me stands up on stage and talks about this stuff in a reasonable way and makes it funny, the vast majority of the, of the ordinary members of the public 
I enjoy that. They're able to appreciate it. They, they come with an open mind and they watch the show for what it is. But that isn't necessarily the reaction you would have if you got 50 Guardian journalists to sit in my show for an hour and listen to me because they don't represent ordinary people. They represent an extreme view from one side of the political spectrum uh, that is completely different to what most people in the country think. I mean, have there been any critiques of your material where you've thought, oh, actually, maybe that is, you know, something I shouldn't say or talk about or anything like that? Yeah, actually, I found, you know, the, the, the way that the comedy industry works is you go to Edinburgh, if you're lucky, you get reviewed by a bunch of different publications. Uh, I had probably 10 or 12 reviews. In almost all of them, whether they were extremely biased in favour or extremely biased against, I thought there was something useful. Uh, and there are little bits where you go, actually, that's a fair point. And it's not like they've just gone, oh, he should never talk about this and I, I've like dropped 20 minutes of material. It's more like, oh, the way I express that is open to misinterpretation. Right. And they've helped me express what I'm trying to express more accurately so I don't alienate people who may may have that misinterpretation of it. Yeah, I mean, and on a sort of broader theme, I mean, do you think there are topics that are out of the bounds even of comedy? I mean, my personal view is absolutely not, but... No, topics, no. I think th there are certain things that I would be uncomfortable myself saying on stage, and some of them I see other comedians doing, and I really enjoy them saying it. It's just a question of personal boundaries right. and morality and whatever else. But there are also things, you know, I don't want comedians to go on stage and mindlessly, you know, say the N-word over and over because they think that's funny, right? But is the topic of race off the table? Well, of course not. Is the topic of men and women or the differences between men off the table? Well, it's been the staple of comedy for centuries, right? So topics, I think all topics are open uh, for exploration, are open for laughter. It's always about the angle of approach. Um, if the question is... Should anything be sayable on stage as a comedian? Mm, I'm not so sure about that. I think if someone is you know, not a very good comedian, uh, <laughs> has very little skill. I mean, the, the, the reality of comedy is the more controversial the issues, the better you have to be as a comedian to tackle them in a way that keeps the audience on side. Uh, and where, where you do get in trouble sometimes is when you don't have yet, hopefully, the skill level to address a particular issue um, and that's where you can get into trouble but generally speaking I think any topic as you put it should be open for exploration yeah I mean I think the archetypal example is say someone like Chris Rock mm. doing a talk about black people mm. versus n-word and hardly any comedians could get away with right. the set that he did but it's not offensive or racist as mm. such because it's executed with, with such a plot um, and what do you think? I mean, you mentioned before, like being uh, in the comedy world now. It's you're a bit of an outlier. I mean, how do you find it with other comedians? Do you think they're generally? Because in my in my experience of going to comedy, I go to a lot of comedy and been to a few quote unquote political comedy nights, and they're all overwhelmingly oh, Trump's orange and mm. you know this kind of crap. And yeah. How do you find it dealing with other people on the circuit? Well, I think I, there there are a few factors there. So when I turned down that contract. I suddenly went from thinking that everyone in the comedy world is kind of my friend, which kind of was the case. You know, the way the comedy works is you're together for 20 minutes. It's pretty easy to be 
friendly with other people for 20 minutes, particularly when you don't have any point of disagreement with them. Uh, I went from that, you know, shake everybody's hand, to suddenly walking into green rooms at comedy clubs and half the people are giving me high fives and hugging me and the other half are staring intently into their phones in order to avoid eye contact. Uh, so I, that was where I started. And I think now, you know, success breeds respect, whether people like you or not. And because not only did I have that episode, but I have a very uh, successful YouTube show with Francis Foster, who you know very well, and because I went to Edinburgh and I kind of proved my point by doing a successful show that sold out, that had great reviews. Um, people have to respect what I've done. And I think a lot of people have kind of mellowed on me because they've gone, well, he's gone for what he believes. He says what he believes on stage. It, it works. He's obviously not some evil Nazi, as this mental woman is trying to say. Uh, and so, you know, people take a different view. There are some extremist people... Who, who want to create safe spaces in the comedy world. There's, there's a guy who runs a comedy night in London where like the audience members get handed out stickers. And if they've got a sticker, that means that you can talk to them as the comedian. And if they haven't got a sticker, wow. you can't. <laughs> and people, people like that are obviously never going to be on board with what I'm doing. Yeah. But broadly speaking, uh, I think a lot of people respect uh, respect me some don't and that's kind of that's what happens whenever you stick your head of, above the parapet in any way yeah I mean, you mentioned your um, YouTube show uh, Trigonometry mm. there's a bit of um, you've had quite a few of our authors on there actually mm. Sam Bowman Helen Dale mm. there's a little bit of kind of confluence between um, CapEx and that but I keep seeing that you get your your show keeps getting demonetized um, yeah. by YouTube I mean does that kind of worry you the way that tech companies are able to sort of mediate in that way I think worry is probably way too weak a word for how I feel about what's happening with the tech companies the tech companies are structurally and institutionally progressive in political terms they are essentially a technical a corporate expression of far left dogma that is what they are they are staffed almost entirely by people who without even thinking buy into that ideology and what they then do no matter how balanced they try to be and that is a question in itself ends up being the product of that kind of staffing and that kind of policy at the very top all the way down so we have uh, a tech environment that is extremely censorious extremely antithetic to open debate uh, that essentially doesn't want people to be having free and open conversations. Uh, it wants YouTube to be used to, for seven-year-olds to review toys or, and, and stuff like that. Is You know, the guy who makes the most money on YouTube is a, is a seven-year-old kid who reviews toys yeah, or something like remarkable. that. It makes me think I've gone into the wrong career. Actually. Uh, me too. So, yeah. Me too. Computer game uh, reviews or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so there is a lot of that going on, and, and I think we should all be worried about it because the tech space the media, online media and social media space is the new public square. It is not private companies. People like to talk about them as being private companies. They are a public square with maintenance that is organized by private companies. But fundamentally, what they are is a space where people come together and debate and talk and connect. And if that space is essentially regulated by people with a very particular mindset, what you end up with is a very dangerous situation where 
I mean, look at, you know, Brexit and Trump and all the rest of it. Suddenly, everyone I knew, including myself, by the way, was extremely surprised that Brexit happened, that Trump happened, right? Why? Because we were not getting the information about how ordinary people feel about many things, right? Why? Because the media and the online media and the social media was not reflecting the mood of the public, right? And that is an unhealthy and dangerous situation for us as a society, and I hope that changes. There's a sort of parallel problem as well, which is if it drives a certain type of content, which actually most of which might be fine, but into a kind of funnel mm. where it can become more extreme, yes. it actually perpetuates the problem it's, it's trying to solve. Yes. Uh, and I, I think, to be honest with you, I think that is a, a fundamental issue with all of our media, including the mainstream media. I, I look at the BBC News website, which is still the thing that I probably look at first when I wake up in the morning. After Catherine. <laughs> After CapEx, of course. Uh, I have to say, the level of clickbait that the BBC and other newspapers engage in, the BBC and newspapers, other media outlets engage in, is, it, it, it's almost like a trigonometry. We would never do something so obviously clickbaity because that is how it is. Every time I write a piece for you know, a, a newspaper, and I love writing for different newspapers, I always send in what I think is a reasonable, balanced, with some exceptions. You know, if I haven't had my, my breakfast, it might be a little bit on the edge. But generally speaking, I send in a piece that I think is reasonable, weighted, balanced, an, an expression of what I hold to be moderate views. The title that ends up being put on that piece by the publication is almost inevitably the most reactionary, you know, extreme form of, of clickbait that I've ever seen. Right, so all of the media now engage in this, uh, and I don't necessarily think that's a healthy thing for our society. But on on the online media, as you say, YouTube particularly, the, the suggestion algorithm can drive you to extremes, which is why you need moderate voices somewhere going. Let's look at both sides, rather than just driving people down a right wing funnel or a left wing funnel. You need someone in the middle who goes, well, these are the things that are good about the right and these are the things that are good about the left and these are the things that are wrong about the right where the right goes wrong and these are the things that are wrong about the left and then a person who looks at that can go ooh, I'm being tricked into going down this funnel I better go back to something else uh, and this is where the freedom of speech is so important because the ability to debate things is essentially what I'm talking about if, if you and I have a conversation where you put forward a strong argument against you know, extremism, then I am proofed, if I've listened to you, against being forced down that tunnel. Because when I go down that tunnel, I go, well, John's already explained to me why that is wrong. I don't need to listen to some guy about you know, far-right extremism because it's just not true or it's wrong or it doesn't make sense. So at the moment, I mean, just to return to your podcast, which... Topics do you find are the ones that get demonetized? Is there a particular thing? Anything to do with men and women, anything to do with feminism, anything to do with race, anything to do with trans rights, anything to do with contentious issues uh, like, let's say, uh, the grooming gangs in this country. Yeah. Uh, anything to do with anything like that, any politically contentious issues. Basically, think about the kind of things that you know, 
the whole point of your podcast, basically. Yes, exactly. Uh, anything that, you know, if Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez was president tomorrow, all the kind of things that she would want us not to be talking about, that's basically anything that gets demonetized and, in, in my opinion, probably also deranked by the social media companies. Does it affect how many views you get, particularly? Well, or? This is my point, is yeah. sometimes I think it does. Uh, now obviously I don't have any evidence for this and this is one of the other problems there's no transparency with these companies uh, so it's hard to say uh, I, I don't want to run around going ooh the tech companies are censoring it I don't know uh, but it certainly feels like sometimes certain content like we had Rod Little on the show uh, a few weeks ago and Rod Little is a hugely popular well known commentator in this country also hugely unpopular which is often a big driver of clicks as well Right, he's a contentious figure, and we had him on, and we really didn't get the kind of numbers that we were expecting. Um, and so, I, I honestly don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is. Yeah, it's an interesting counterpoint because a lot of the, the stuff about big tech in the news is about how supposedly it's been Facebook and stuff has been captured by the likes of Donald Trump. But mm. I think your experience suggests that it's actually a quite a bit more nuanced than that. Yeah, I suspect that all political parties now, and actually all companies, uh, are doing their very best to uh, game that system to get the results that they want. I have no doubt that you know there are trolls farm, troll farms in Russia that are trying to do their best to. In the, there are people in China who are trying their very best to destabilize Western governments as well. Uh, and I have no doubt that political parties in this country, and particularly in America, are doing their best to get their point across. It's a new battlefield of communication. So that will be happening. Uh, but the idea is just that it's just one side uh, that's doing that, I think, is quite naive. Right. So uh, thank you very much for joining us, Constantine. Uh, just before we go, I mean, what's, uh, you mentioned your show. What's up next for you over the, over the coming months? Well, a lot of stuff. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm opening for Jeff Norcott, who's a brilliant comedian. Uh, on tour in the next few weeks I'm doing my own show as I said in London at the Bill Murray on the 24th of November and I've got you know dates in Brighton and Cambridge as well um, so I've got a lot of that I do radio and TV every now and again and, and Trigonometries is going very well growing uh, we've got some incredible guests coming up uh, so yeah too busy is what I've got always make these too, uh, too busy I think uh, alright well thanks very much indeed and uh, best of luck Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax with their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs. You can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.